0: If you can turn your Bibles to Mark, the Gospel of Mark, we praise God for Sister Debbie and this wonderful choir, amen, who consistently lend their gifts and their voices to the Lord. Mark chapter 8. And we're going to look at verse 31 through 38. But even though we'll be reading all of these verses, we are going to just deal with 31 through 33 this week. And if the Lord says the same, next week we'll deal with verses 34 through 38. If you could stand for the reading of God's word. The psalmist says that the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether, more to be desired than gold, even much gold, sweeter than the honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. What we hold in our hand is more precious than gold. It is sweeter than honey. Let us read the awesome, magnificent, sufficient word of God. And it says, and he began to teach them that the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him. Will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels? Uh, Let's pray. Uh, Father, I pray that you would breathe on your word. I pray, Father God, that you would breathe on your people. I pray, Father God, that you would breathe on me. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. Captivate our attention and allow your anointing to preside and break yokes. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So here's a question for you. Uh, Which counterfeit dollar is most likely to make it into circulation? Which counterfeit dollar is most likely... To make it into circulation. And we know that the answer is the one that looks real. A counterfeit dollar that looks real is one that makes it into circulation and that stays in circulation. Just because something looks real and feels real, it doesn't make it real. Just because something looks right and feels right doesn't necessarily make it right. Proverbs 14 and 12 says this. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. There is a way that seems right to man, but its end is the way to death. In other words, there is a counterfeit lifestyle that feels right and that can even look right that at the end will come up to be wrong and lead to death. But the question we must ponder today is How do we know if we are on the right path? Can we know if we are going the right way? As we look at today's text, we find that the answer is yes. God has clearly laid out a plan. He has clearly revealed to us that there is an agenda. There is a way that does not lead to death. There is a way that leads to life. And we can know whether or not we are on that way. Whether or not we are following God's agenda or our own agenda. Because there's really only two types of agendas that leads to two, two endings. There's two ways. Either the king way or the king's agenda or man's way and man's agenda. And the scary thing about man's way and man's agenda is for some people we can hide our own agenda and or have our own agenda and think that we're really on the agenda of God. There are people who really think that they are going the way that God intends. People who would say, if you ask them, are you a Christian, who would argue to the death and say, yes, I am. But whose way is not the Lord's way and whose agenda is not the Lord's agenda. So today's text is going to teach us and show us the difference between man's agenda and God's agenda. It is going to show us how to follow the king's agenda. As we look at the passage that we are in uh, today, we will see that in verses 27-30, the 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 verses that's leading up to verse 31, that Jesus is on a journey with his disciples and they are uh, going to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked a question. And it's a deep question. He asked the question, Who do men say that I am? And his disciples, who have been with him now for uh, about three years, says, Uh, gives them an answer. They say, well, some say that you are John the Baptist, and others say that you are Elijah, and others say that you are one of the prophets. But then Jesus asks another deep question, a question that every soul in here must answer. The most important question that can ever be asked is, who do you say that Jesus is? And the disciples It says that Peter answered, but Peter is often the spokesperson of the disciples and he said, you are the Christ. You are the Christ. Peter proclaimed that Jesus was the Christ. In the first eight chapters of Mark, Mark has been posing this question. He has been getting us to look at Jesus And as we're looking at Jesus, we see that the disciples are constantly asking a question. They're asking, who is this? As Jesus does miraculous things. As his actions point to his divinity, as his attitudes are, are like none other, they're asking, who in the world is this? Who is this that can open blind eyes? Who is this that can speak to the sea and the sea has to quiet? Who is this that can touch Peter's mother who is dying from a fever and she recovers instantly? And finally, the Holy Spirit has given them sight. It has unveiled their eyes. And finally, the disciples are able to respond by saying, you are the Christ, the Christ. What? Is the Christ. You are the Christ. The Christ literally means that you are the anointed one. See, kings at their coronation, when they were becoming a king, they were anointed with oil and they were seen as the anointed ones. But Peter does not say that you are a Christ, he is not saying that you are an anointed king. He is saying that you are the anointed one. In other words, you are the one that we as Jews, that we have been looking forward to for many years. You are the one who would restore Israel to its former greatest greatness. You are the new David. You are the greater David. When he makes this confession that you are the Christ, he is saying that you are the one who the prophet Isaiah talks about. You are the one who's going to make all things new. This is a huge confession. In other words, Peter is saying, you are the king, you are my king. And that's why we're following you. And then we read on. In verse 31 through 33, that Jesus says, okay, now that I have you all seeing who I am, now that you see that I am the Christ, I have to tell you my agenda. I'm going to lay out for you my plans as the Messiah, as the Christ. And he lays out an agenda that the disciples, quite frankly, don't like. In verse 31, it says, And Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days, rise again. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. He began to rebuke him. So we see that the Messiah, the Christ, lays out an agenda, but Peter doesn't like that agenda. I believe that you are here this morning because you want to know more about God. I believe that most of you have come to church this morning because you... Look at your life and you know that there are some areas in your life that you need help in. Some of you are faced in the upcoming weeks with some very serious decisions. Some of you are going through marital problems. Some of you have to make huge decisions for your family. And you are often asking yourself, I wonder if I am on the right agenda. I wonder if I'm following God's way and making godly decisions or if this is my way. Some of you just last night were crying out to God on a specific issue and you're saying, God, I desperately need you to reveal to me what I need to do, how I need to go forth. And today's text teaches us that God does have an agenda and that God's agenda Is often made very plain. But that we. As his people. As his servants. When he lays out his agenda. In his word. That we must submit to his agenda. And we must trust that his agenda is better than our agenda. Because he is the king. Because he is the anointed one, the one who is chosen by God to bring redemption. So the big idea today is that we must trust the king's word over everything else. We must trust his agenda and lay ourselves at his feet and follow his agenda. Even when his agenda doesn't necessarily agree with us. And what do we want? See, that's what's happening here. Jesus has an agenda, but Peter has an agenda. Now, Peter believes that Jesus is the Messiah. He believes that he's the anointed one. He is on Jesus' team, but yet he gets sidetracked because he looks at the agenda and he says, oh, Lord, oh, no, 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 no. That's not the right agenda. If we're going to follow God's agenda, and if we are those who follow God's agenda. The first thing that we must do is we must trust the king's word. This text is going to reveal many things that we must do. A few things, I should say. But the first thing is that we must trust the king's word. Now, we'll look at the second requirement next week. But we must trust the king's word. And then on your worksheet, you'll see that we must trust the king's word, A even when you don't understand it. We must trust the King's Word. We must... Trust the king's word even when we don't understand it. If we say that we are believers in God, if we say that we're Christians and that we love the Lord, then we are acknowledging that he is the king. And if we are acknowledging that he is the king, that he is the anointed one, that He's the chosen one, then we must trust his word even when we don't fully understand his word or understand how it's going to work. See, Peter hears that Jesus is the Christ. And in verse 31, it says, it says that Jesus is the Christ. And then in verse 31, it says, and he began to teach them that the son of man must suffer many things. The term son of man simply means two things. Number one, uh, a, a person who was born from a woman from mankind, but it also, when Jesus uses it, he's pointing back to the book of Daniel. Daniel had a vision of uh, one he called the Son of Man, and it was a man who looked divine, so Jesus is claiming divinity. He's saying the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, by the chief priests, and so on. Now, for Peter to hear this after just getting this revelation of who Jesus is, this confuses him. And the reason he goes and rebukes Jesus is because this doesn't make sense to him. Because in the Old Testament, the way that the Jews read about the coming Messiah and what they believed about the coming Messiah is they saw the coming Messiah as a conqueror. They did not see him as one who would have to suffer and definitely as one who would die. Turn your Bible to Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9. This is a prophetic chapter about the coming Messiah. It was written way before Jesus came. This is what they had in mind when they thought about the Christ, the anointed one. Isaiah chapter 9. And this is why Peter just went hood on Jesus like, oh, no, 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 this ain't, this ain't going to work. Because this is the picture that he had in mind. And it says, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shined. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divided the spoil for the yoke of his burden." And the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trapping warrior in battle atonement and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. So this is a prophecy that one day Israel will be released. Israel will be a place of joy, a place where the burden is lifted. Look at verse six. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God everlasting Father, prince of peace, of the increase of his government and peace, there is no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this, this is a prophecy about the coming Christ, when Peter says you are the Christ, he says it with enthusiasm and happiness, he says it in faith because even though he says that Jesus doesn't look like the Christ, he's poor and he's asking people can he stay with them but he looks at his works and he's like there's something different about you on faith I'm saying that you are the new David you are the one that's going to restore this kingdom to its glory but Jesus what in the world are you talking about what do you mean you're going to suffer you know Peter had a little hood to him too we see when, when, when Jesus is getting ready to get taken captive Peter pulled out his sword and cut off a Saterius ear he wasn't no punk. He wasn't a chump. He, he had a little edge to him. So he pulls Jesus aside. He's like, listen, I hear what you're saying. I hear you talking about your agenda, but that's not my agenda. See, I've got plans. You're supposed to be the Messiah. I'm your homeboy. We're supposed to rule together, man. What you talking about? A lot of times in our own lives, we are off agenda. We are off mission simply because we have not taken the time to listen to God. It says that Jesus says that he began to teach, and then it says that he taught plainly. This was new to Peter. Peter should have responded not with some suspicion, but with submission. Peter's a new creation. He's just been regenerated. He should have not came to Jesus' word and saying, I'm suspicious of that, but rather he should have said, I'm submissive. Now, Jesus, this doesn't line up with what I see, and this doesn't line up with what I plan. Can you please break it down to me? Can you, can you please reveal yourself to me? And, and when we are snatched from darkness and brought to the marvelous light, we don't know all the answers. And some of the things that God tells us seem strange. And and the way that he's calling us to live, it, it doesn't line up with the way that we've lived and it doesn't line up with what we planned out for our lives. But instead of rebuking God and saying, I'm just going to live life my way and learn along the way, we have to know that God has spoken and he has an agenda for your life. He has a plan for your life as a believer. And we've got to submit to what he says to us, even when we don't understand it and do not want to agree with it. See, Peter had his agenda, just like all of Israel had their agenda. They took what they wanted from the messianic prophecies. They underlined it in their scrolls. They put little stars and smiley faces by it during their devotion time. And they neglected the rest of scripture about the prophesying about the Messiah. They, They neglected to read Isaiah 53, which uses the same terms for the coming servant. The same terms for the coming Messiah. But it says that he will suffer. It says that he will be afflicted and wounded for our transgressions. It said that he will be headed to the slaughter like a sheep and he wouldn't say a word. And oftentimes that's what we do in our life. We highlight the verses that we want to apply to us. And we kind of read really quickly the stuff we don't like. But if we're going to follow the king's agenda, and it's best to follow the king's agenda, we will learn in his text. Because if you follow the king's agenda, it may not start off good in the beginning, but it's going to end up great for you. Whereas if you start follow your own agenda, it may start off good, but it's going to end up bad. And I'd rather start off struggling and end up great than start off great and end up struggling. Oh, I wish I had one witness. If I had one witness. So here's an example. Some of us in here, all of us in here have an area, but here's an example of one area. There's some singles here who desire to be married. And you want to know God's agenda and how you should seek the Lord for marriage. You do. You, You want to find someone who you can love and live with. But you must remember, that God has already given you what you need to follow or to date the right way and to live the right way as a single. Peter says that God has already given us everything we need through his power and the knowledge of Jesus Christ for a life of godliness. So whatever the issue is in my life, if I'm a single, I want to start with God's word and say, God, I want to do things your way. So if I'm a single today and I desire to be married, I I would say, where does God's word? What does God's word say about singleness? What does God's word say about this time in my life? And if I ask that question, I'll find myself in first Corinthians chapter six in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, God gives me a principle while I'm seeking his face and his agenda that tells me that I ought to not date or be yoked with a person who does not believe in what I believe. That I should not yoke myself with an unbeliever. Now, if I'm a A newer believer or a younger Christian, I may not understand that right away. In fact, there was a time in my life where I really did not understand that. A unwise way to approach my singleness is to say, like Peter, well, I don't understand that. That does not compute, so I need to do it my way. Because I don't understand that, and because there's a lackage of men or a lackage of godly women, I'm just going to date someone who's not a believer and pray that they become a believer. That's not what God's word say. If you're going to trust the king and be on his agenda, you have to submit to his word even when, even when you don't understand it. So after going to God's word for the answer, you need to pray. Jeremiah 33 and 3, go home and read it. It's a promise. That when you pray to the Lord, that he will reveal hidden and secret things. And not only do you need to go and pray, but you need to go seek wise counsel. Go to another believer and say, this is what my Christ has said. I don't understand it. And I don't agree with it. Little Nuke Nuke is good looking. Little Nuke Nuke has a job. Little Nuke Nuke takes me out to the movies little Nuke Nuke even promised to pay half of my cardinal. Why can't I marry little Nuke Nuke? And if you go to someone who knows God's word and who sees the picture, you can say number one, because God says that you ought not to. But here's why you ought not to. If you're a believer and you're going to grow in Christ and to love Christ, that means that Christ is going to become your first love. And you're going to be intensely in love with Christ and he's going to be walking with you and you're going to be walking with him and and if that's true he is going to be if you're a believer he is the most important person in your life now if you choose to date and marry someone who does not believe in Jesus the most important part of your life cannot be shared with that person do you really want To spend your days not being able to share with your spouse the most important part of your life. Not only that, you guys are going to two different destinations. Nuke Nuke. Nuke Nuke and and Jane. I don't know. That's their names right now. They're at the airport, both of them are single sitting next to each other at Louisville's airport, right next to the little piece of her vendor, gate, jeep, just joking. And while they're sitting there, they're having a conversation. And all of a sudden, Nuke Nuke, he says, man, Jane's got it going on. This this sister's got it together. And Jane's thinking, little Nuke Nuke, he's got it going on. He's a sharp-looking brother. Now, Jane is headed to fly to Canada. Nuke Nuke is flying to Texas. You hear what I'm saying? Should they get on the same plane expecting to end up in their destination? No. <laughs> They're going two different places, two different ways. Amos says it like this How can two come together and walk together unless they first agree? It would be foolish of them to get on the same plane thinking everything's going to end up all right. And it's the same way with a believer and an unbeliever. Coming together in a relationship. One is headed north to know God more. And the other is walking according to their own agenda. Now this is just one illustration about how when we are faced with a decision. How we should start with not whether or not I understand or agree with God has to say with it. But we should start with saying this is the king's word. I'm going to trust his word and submit to his word even when I'm suspicious of it because he's the Messiah. Number two, if we're going to follow the king's agenda, not only must we trust the king's word when we don't understand it, but we must trust the king's word when it's not popular. We must trust the king's word when it is not popular. We see in this text that Peter has this understanding of Messiah. He's all in. He's going to follow Jesus to the real rocks off because, as we learn in the upcoming chapters, because he, he has a desire to be great. And if he is close with the Messiah, with the Christ, he's going to be great, right? So it's messing up his agenda, messing up his life's, life's plan now. But we also know that everyone had the same picture of the Messiah as a Jew. All the Jews believed that he was going to be this great person. Now, if Peter commits to Christ as the Messiah, but the Christ dies prematurely, uh, and he knows the Christ is going to die prematurely, that's not going to look good for Peter. He can't promote a Christ that's going to suffer and die. And he knows that it's going to be hard to convince people that this is the Christ because they have a popular understanding of what the Christ is. See, some of us, we think that we're on God's agenda, but we don't seek to understand God or his word. We do what we want to do because we don't understand or agree. But but others of us, we really struggle with following the king's agenda because we want to be popular. And because popular opinion says this, When we become a follower of Jesus, we follow him despite popular opinion. Our lives are lived according to his word. And our life goes as his word goes. But for many Christians, what shapes our spiritual walk is not what God has said. It's what seems right, what feels right, and what's popular. We see this in the mass media right now. A few months ago, our dear president agreed or came out and made a statement about what he believes about homosexual marriage. And as I talked to many Christians about what they believed about it, I saw quickly and saw some posts online that people who profess to be following the king's agenda now side with the president. And and people who do not side with the president, but who rather side with God's word, which clearly teaches that marriage is a union between a man and a woman. Those who believe that and who stand on God's word are now seen as unpopular. While there are some Christians who maintain and who say, yes, I'm a Christian. I love the Lord. He's good to me. But I believe that if two people love together, no matter who they are, they should be together. And the question you have to ask yourself is whose agenda are you following? Because when you go against what God has clearly taught in Scripture... You are rebuking Jesus just as Peter rebuked Jesus. See, God doesn't say something because he just likes to hear himself talk, even though he should because everything he says is dope. But when he speaks, he's speaking as to us as a loving father or a loving creator. The Bible says that everything he created was declared good which means that when he made us, he made us a certain way, he made us good. And as long as we are following his way and in a relationship with him, even despite ourselves, we are good. But when we say that we don't trust the Bible or we don't believe that because and try to explain it away, even though it's clearly and plainly stated in scripture, we rebuke Jesus. Now, the Bible does not say that homosexuals should be treated as weird and that we should not love them. In fact, the Bible says the opposite. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12, Paul says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. Which means that there is no sin that is not a common sin. A lot of times when Christians talk about homosexuality and and people who assert God's word, we do it in a very unloving way and we make it seem like homosexuality is the darkest, most devious sin. And that's not true. In the eyes of God, sin is sin. A heterosexual that's sleeping around outside of marriage or sleeping around in marriage, you don't sleep around when you're married, you sleep with one person, is just as wrong as a homosexual. So our issue is not that we don't love homosexuals. We love all people. Love meaning that we are kind and compassionate to all people and understand that that person themselves is not not our, our, our enemy. What we don't like is the sin that separates them from God. But a lot of Christians are siding with unbiblical stances that's in popular opinion and presented in the media rather than siding with God's word. And a true Christian, a true person who is following the agenda of God is a person who says, I'm going to follow God's agenda even when it's not popular. And even if I don't understand, I may not understand. To me right now, it may look like this is okay because they love each other. So then what I need to do is I need to go to God's word and say, Lord, I need you to shake my picture my the way that i view love because love isn't just an emotion or fulfillment the bible says that god is love and if one is truly loving in a god centered way we are loving co- towards god's revelation towards god's revelation so if a person says they love you but they are not showing the attributes of god in loving you that's not true love it's a counterfeit love it may look good And it may be in circulation for a little while, but its way is death. Do you seek to do what's popular? Or do you seek to do what Christ has commanded and shown? Third, we see... That those who follow the king's agenda, they trust the king's word when they don't understand it, when it's not popular, and when they don't feel like it. When they don't feel like it. You know, this was tough for Peter. Peter's been with Jesus for three years. Jesus has taught him many things. He has Jesus is love. He is God. He has perfectly loved the disciples. This is his homeboy. This is, this is his Lord. He, he loves him. And to hear that his Lord is going to suffer at the hands of religious people. He's like, no way that's going to happen. That doesn't feel right to me. And I just want to tell you that you must exalt God's word over your feelings. Many people in here, you are driven by your feelings. You make decisions based on how you feel. If I made decisions based on how I felt. Within the last five years, I'm going to tell you, I would look totally different. Now, five years ago, all of a sudden, I don't know why, I just felt like getting tattoos all over my body. And I'm not knocking people who do. It's not necessarily sinful. Not necessarily. Right? But I remember saying, man, that's cool. Maybe I should get Christian tattoos all over me, right? And then I went through a stage just recently where I wanted to get dreadlocks. Praise God, my wife spoke up and spoke out against that, right? So if you would still allow me to be here, I would have had dreads and tattoos. And a little longer than five years, I absolutely, this is silly, Sister Debbie, but I just wanted to vanish. I had a neat idea to move to Seattle, Washington, and to live by myself for some time and just vanish. So I'll be in Seattle, Washington, with some dreadlocks, (laughs) with some tattoos, because that's how I felt. And a lot of us, we make decisions based on how we feel rather than based on God's word. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 1, talks about how if someone comes to you in wrath, how you don't respond with wrath, but rather you respond with quiet words, with words that's not harsh. Now, we think and we say if somebody's arguing and coming at me the wrong way, the way I fix them is by showing them I'm no chump. And I come back with them with hard words. But the Bible says that's not how you do it. It says a soft answer turns away wrath. We may not understand it. And it may not be popular. But we've got to trust that the king and his agenda is right. Even when we don't feel like it. And many of us, we get in trouble time after time. Because... We didn't feel like allowing somebody to walk over us or to talk to us that way. Feelings is a dangerous, dangerous, dangerous thing to follow. In fact, let me show you how silly feelings is. If we go to see a scary movie. And you're in a scary, and you're seeing a scary movie, and all of a sudden, and you know in your heart that the monster isn't real. And you're telling yourself, this is not a real monster, this is a movie. But yet, when the monster shows up, you freak out. Because the directors know how to manipulate a scene to make you feel like you need to freak out. So, when you feel like shouting, you shout. Even though intellectually you know this isn't real. Feelings are not led by the best intellectual or rational thoughts. Well, I just feel like, like he don't know what he's doing, so I feel like I need to tell him how to run this house. See, that's where you messed up. You're going off of how you feel. The Bible says the way that a wife should respond when a husband it's unresponsive to the things of God. And we may not understand how it works. And it may not be popular at 1 Peter, amen, chapter 3, to have a gentle and quiet spirit. And win him over with our life and the way we love. But we've got to trust the king's agenda. Well, I feel like he loves me. And I know we in high school, and I know we're not married, Pastor, but it feels right. Well, you need to go to God's word. See, if we trust in our feelings, if we wait till we fully understand something, and if we make decisions based upon what's popular and what's not popular, we are not following Christ. In fact, we may look real. And even feel like our worship is real. But the reality of it is it's counterfeit. And remember what I said in the beginning. There's a way that seems right to man. But its end is destruction. Look how Jesus deals with Peter. It says, but turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. Satan. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. When we do things our way outside of God's word, it is satanic. We can try to call it something else, but it's satanic. We are not following Christ. We are following Satan. So the way that we ought to respond is by saying, Lord, help me to respond to your word not based on how I feel not based on whether or not I understand it whether or not I even fully agree with it yet not based on whether or not it's popular but help me to love you deep enough that I am willing to start everything with what does God's word say are you starting everything with what does God's word say are you looking at areas in your life and saying what does God's word say or are you letting other things determine how you date, where you work, where you live, how you give, what you listen to, and where you go? When we reject the king's agenda, live upon our own agenda, and still hang out with the king, we become what's called a cultural Christian. A cultural Christian means we look Christian. And there may be times where we even act Christian, but we're not truly submitting to Christ. Patrick Morley says that a cultural Christian means to seek the God we want instead of the God who is. It is the tendency to be shallow in our understanding of God, wanting him to be more of a gentle grandfather type who spoils us and lets us have our way. It is sensing a need for God, but on our own terms. It is wanting the God we underline in our Bibles without wanting the rest of him too. Jesus says, if anyone's going to come after me, let him deny himself. If we are going to follow Jesus, we are denying ourselves, denying our own agenda and saying, God, put me on your agenda and I'm going to I want to be on your agenda because you are the king. And since you are the chosen king, the chosen Messiah, the one who has come to save me, I'm going to trust your word. Jesus rebukes Peter in a very hard way. He calls him Satan. In fact, this is probably the hardest rebuke that Jesus has to offer in the Gospels. But he's not calling him Satan. He's calling his idea the way that he is going. He's saying it is satanic. He isn't uh, filled with a demonic presence, but he is following the influence of demonic presence. And we do the same thing when we allow media and the world's culture to shape our lives. But let me tell you why. Why you should follow the, the agenda of the Lord. Why, when you feel like doing something that you know is not lining up with God, why you should stop and submit to God's word? One verse and I'm done. Look at this. Verse 31. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. This is why you should follow Jesus' agenda. And we won't perfectly follow it. None of us are perfect. It's part of being a a Christian is knowing that we are going to fall. We're going to make a mistake. But however, a Christian is a person who is learning that when they fall and when they make a mistake to repent and say, let me get right on the right agenda. Even though it's hard, even though it's going to take some sacrifice, even though I've got to break down to this person that this relationship is wrong. Let me get on his agenda and trust him. This is why you should be motivated to be on his agenda. The Bible says that Jesus says that the Son of Man must suffer, must suffer. Look at the attitude that Jesus has towards you. Look at the affection that he has towards us. He came to this earth in order that we would be liberated. Why did Jesus have to suffer? He had to suffer for two reasons. Number one, he had to suffer in order that we would be in right standings with God. See, this is you, my left hand. And this represents all of your sins and all of my sins. Every time we broke a commandment of God. And that ceiling represents God. It represents a holy God, a righteous God. Do you see the space in between us and God? And we cannot commune with this holy God because Habakkuk says that a holy God, his his eyes cannot even look upon sin. He hates sin. This book is separating us from him. We can never have true fellowship and true communion with him. We can never truly hear from him and walk according to his agenda because our sin and our agenda is is in the way. But the Bible teaches that there was one whose name is Jesus and this represents Jesus. And Jesus came to the earth and he was fully God, yet fully man. And the Bible says that Jesus is without sin. He has never sinned. He doesn't have a black book. And he was in perfect communion with God the Father. But the Bible says that this perfect God who became man, that he lived a perfect life. And the Bible says that he died upon a cross. And on the cross, he took all of your sin. And all of my sin on his shoulders. So that we would be seen as righteous before God. He took your record and my record. It was imputed upon him and his righteousness was imputed upon us. Now every day we stand before God in perfect communion as if we had never sinned. And he did it. Because he loved you. He did it because he set his affection on you. He did it because he has a plan for you. He did it because he wants you to have abundant life. He has set an agenda not because he's mean and he's cold, but he has set an agenda that he wants you to follow because he knows that if you seek his face and abide in him that his agenda will work out way better than your agenda. He has a plan for you. But your life is spiraling out of bounds. Your relationships are being torn apart. Your life feels like it doesn't have significance because you only want to take part of his agenda and not at all. But he still loves you and he's telling you today, I still love you. The Bible says that while he was on the cross, that the wrath of God was poured out on him. God's wrath towards our sin was completely satisfied. He is our propitiation. Which means that even as a believer, when I am off agenda, that he is not punishing me or angry at me because he already poured his anger out on his son. He may be grieved and we may not have as clear as communication as we ought to, but he still loves you in spite of yourself. And he is drawing you to himself this morning. He's saying, you've been gone for a long time because you've been chasing things and people that you know that is not according to my will. And he's saying, come back to me. Trust me as Christ. And trust my words. Trust my words. He loves you. More than nuke nuke, baby Chuck, Chuck and all now. He loves you with a intense love. Zephaniah said he loves you so much that he sings over you. Loves you so much that he's preparing a place for you in heaven right now. You say, God, I've got to make this happen. I've got to, I'm getting older. I've got to make something happen with him or with her. I've got to do this. I gotta gotta say, uh-uh, you trusting in your own agenda, boo. If you get up and line up with my agenda, I'll satisfy you. you'll realize, you know what, I really don't even have to have him or her or this or that. I've got everything I need. But if if they come along, I'll take it. But Christ is enough for me. There's some teenagers in here. You are driving yourself. Crazy, trying to be popular. You're trying to impress people who are going to turn on you one way or another. People are so finicky. Don't don't find your identity in what he thinks or what she thinks. Find your identity in what God thinks. Ask LeBron James. One second he's loved in Cleveland, the next second he's hated, and the next second he's loved again, next year people will probably hate him again. As a Christian, you have a chance to have a secure identity in Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your people. I pray that you would help us to know that if we are going to follow the king's agenda, we must first, at all costs, at all times, trust his word. Seek his face. Seek his word. In Jesus' name, amen.